Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Welcome to Inside the Podcaster Studio. I'm your host, Alvin Williams. This limited podcast will consist of a series of interviews with some of the most compelling true crime content creators in the space. Joining me today is an advocate who uses her voice to fight for justice for her sister, Alyssa, as well as countless others on both her podcast, Voices for Justice and Disappearances. The Podcaster Studio is proud to welcome Sarah Turney. Sarah, hello. How are you? Hello. Thank you. I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me. That was a Absolutely. great introduction. It's downhill from here, just to let you know. <laughs> Perfect. Um, thank, you for, <laughs> thank you for uh, agreeing to do this. I know that you have a lot on your plate. You're a busy lady, and uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time. We had, we had we spoken on social media and stuff about having conversations about ethics and true crime, and, you know, and, and, and that's a conversation that I really am interested in having as a person who is, I don't know, like, I guess the kind of podcast that I do on affirmative murder is like... Um, from somebody on the outside, ostensibly, like I think that they we could be looked at like as a TMZ or like a, you know, like a sensationalism, you know, because I, you know, we we don't have a cause that we're particularly fighting for. Obviously, you grow as a podcast and you learn about what's going on in the world and you want to try to advocate and speak up and and, and shed light on the stories. But like nothing per se called me here other than an interest in true crime. So when I heard you having those discussions, I heard your discussion at, at CrimeCon, I was like, I'd like to be a part of that. I'd I really like to learn what I'm doing wrong, what I'm doing right. And uh, yeah, so I figured who better to talk to than somebody with, you know, your experience and, and the way that you're going about and spreading news about cases and stuff. I feel like you're kind of like the guru to speak to to make sure you're doing things the right way. So um, I'm glad we could do this. Yeah, no, me too. You're so sweet. I mean, I think it comes down to caring and you obviously care. So that's why I'm here. And I think that that's awesome. Um, you guys were also just like super fun at CrimeCon. So I'm excited that we get to chat again. 
Absolutely, you know, for sure. Um, I want to take things back to the beginning. I want to I want to learn about Saraturnian. You know, uh, every hero has this origin story. So I would like to know, where were you born? Oh, sure. I was born uh, right here in Phoenix, Arizona, born and raised. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so a desert, a desert rose, I guess is what they, they call it, right? <laughs> if you can. Yes. I mean, Phoenix is such a city, to be honest. I've never seen a rattlesnake. I've never seen a live scorpion. Like, it, it's suburbs and city and uh, track homes and stuff. You know what I mean? I grew up in West Phoenix, where there was no desert. There's like no nature there. So I, I, I never really got that connection. I guess because oh, it's just, it's just, it's just like just suburbs. Yeah, yeah. It's just, oh. you know, houses and apartments and everything's been built up since, you know, the 60s and 70s. So it's like I, every, like all pieces of nature here are kind of like superimposed. Uh, mm. so, like the cactuses are like replanted and stuff. Um, but yes, technically I am in a desert. One of my favorite places to go is the Key West. And my mind was blown. I almost went into a fetal position when they were like, yeah, all the palm trees here are implanted like none of these grow here naturally I was like, what what do you mean this isn't a tropical paradise <laughs> but jimmy buffett said it's, it's margaritaville what do you mean <laughs> so um if someone asked eight-year-old sarah what she wanted to be when she grew up what would she say I can tell you exactly what I wanted to be. I wanted to be the lady. Uh, this isn't a position that exists, but um, I wanted to be a lady uh, that sold stickers on the side of the street. And I'm not even kidding. Um, oh, wow. I, I wanted to sell stickers. To be honest, I was selling. <sighs> so I always had like a hustle as a kid, like a side hustle. Sure. We grew up without a lot of money. So I started selling like stickers and pogs, if anybody remembers nice. pogs, <laughs> yeah. at like six years old. Um, Still don't know what they do. Still don't really know what they do. But but I had a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to sell stickers on the side of the street. And funny enough, when I got older, I started an Etsy shop to help, you know, pay the bills and stuff. And I was selling yeah. stickers. And I was like, damn, I've realized my dream. Like, <laughs> I've hit the pinnacle of my career right now. So you speaking into it. existence, yeah. you know, you self manifest. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was a ham. So the first job, once I realized that I said, I said, firefighter wrong, I said, I wanted to be a flyer flighter. And everybody loved it. So I said that until like it wasn't cute anymore. Until I was like, like you're 11, man. Like it's not, it's not, it's not adorable anymore. Stop like digging your finger into your cheek. It, you know, I think kids should have jobs early. Now I'm not endorsing, uh, you know, child labor or anything like that. But like, you know, if your uncle owns a grocery store, go put some carts away or something like that. I think, it, I think it builds character, you know. Yeah, no, now, absolutely. Like I, yeah. I, when I got older, I started working for startups and stuff and I realized all these little side hustles and, you know, things I had as a kid, I was like, I, I guess I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just never really knew what that term was. You know, I didn't have access to adults who could like see those things in me and cultivate them. So it wasn't until I was like 25 that I was like, oh, that's what I've been interested in my whole life. I also thought this was impossible until one day I realized, oh, it's, it's easy once you just you just got to be willing to dive in. Yeah, and I think that's the scariest part is just the dive in part, you know. Oh, a thousand percent. Yeah. And once I started working with these really cool entrepreneurs with these startups, you know, I was really fortunate to work with, you know, for example, I worked for a, a startup for USA Today. It was called Grateful. Um, and it was it was run by the CEO who had this great experience with just media. And I learned so much and it just became kind of contagious. This idea of working for myself and not somebody else and creating something that was mine because, you know, by the age of 27 or whatever, I'd been in the workforce for over 10 years. I had my degree and I saw no change. It was just, it was really hard to get ahead, to be honest, to climb any type of corporate ladder. It seemed like no matter how well I performed, no matter my education, it just, if you weren't, you know, in with the right people at the right time, it just felt impossible. So yeah, it, it's been a crazy road. <laughs> yeah. That, that club 
it's crazy when you when you when you can tell there's a club in the job that you're working at and you're like and you're just not in the club so it doesn't matter what you do you just don't know the right people and that's always that's always a crappy feeling yeah well what's funny too is that that last position one of the big one of the biggest things people always talked about is how many followers do you have how many followers do you have and it was uh before i started advocating for my sister before i really had a big social media presence so i I look back on it now and i was like I had everything I needed to be successful in that job and get get ahead, but I guess I just didn't have the the social media numbers to uh, to really I guess prove it back then. It's it's so weird. You, you mentioned your sister, so I wanted to ask you. So in, in two thousand one, your life journey was redirected by a family tragedy, and uh, after your sister Alyssa's disappearance. So I wanted to ask you, like, at what point did you realize that nobody was going to advocate for justice for your sister unless you became her voice? And like, was there a specific moment that happened or was there like a series of events that led to you stepping up and taking on that uh, task? Sure. Um, sorry, you can probably hear my dogs. I have a little bit of commotion going on in my house. Um, but no but yeah, I mean, it, it took a while. I think it, it really took the police telling me, you know what I mean? They were like, we've done all we can do. Your best chance is to get media exposure. And I was like, damn it really is on me. Um, And I took that directive very seriously. I didn't take it as just like an offhand comment or whatever. I was like, I'm doing this. It became a totally new mission in my life. But yeah, I would say that's when I realized that if I wanted to, um, I guess, gain traction and just do what the police told me to do, um, I was I was the only person that was going to do it. So I just I just did it. That's got to be a tough feeling. I've been following this Lauren Smith Fields case and her family's coming out and saying that, you know, the police were just not really, uh, it wasn't a priority for them. Actually, two of the detectives on the case would have been, like, suspended. And it's, I, I can't imagine what it's like to, you know, to be turning to the people whose job it is and not to, not to you know, disparage the police or anything that do these, these uh, investigations, but just if you need, if you have questions, you have things you want answered, who else are you supposed to turn to other than the people that are working on the case? And when they kind of, you know, throw their hands up and their shoulders up and and, and say, hey, I don't, I don't have any answers for you. It's like, what do you do next? So I uh, really commend you. I think I think um, what you've done is uh, remarkable. And um, I know there's a lot of people who can relate to your story, but may not have, uh, I don't want to say courage. That was the word I want to say. I don't, that may not have the know-how or the ability to communicate the way that you have over the last 20 something years. And so I wanted to ask you, like, um, have you always been an outspoken person? Like, were you a a rambunctious kid? Did you tell people, you know, don't touch my toys? Or like, did you always have a a, a brash and and like an assertive presence and, you know, for your entire life? So it's funny because, no, I I was very quiet. I was very meek. But the thing was, I it's so funny because, I mean, I grew up with this sense of justice, right? I was always told if something's not right, you need to speak up about it. You need to tell somebody. And I took that really seriously. I mean, I think I remember as a kid, I entered a new school. We moved away for a little bit. Um, and basically... Sorry, my dog is going crazy. Uh, basically, uh, I I was in second grade. I was like six or something. And these kids were telling me that a teacher was locking kids in a closet. 
And so what I did was I went around and told everybody, I was like, can you believe this? This isn't okay. We need to change this. What's going on at six years old? And they sat me down and they were like, hey, kid, like this isn't true. Maybe next time do some research before you start telling the whole school that um, you're spreading fake news. (laughs) Apparently, yes. But I was very concerned about this kid, you know, and as I got older, that really manifested in me. You know, um, when I was in middle school, I spent my spring break protesting against the Iraq war. You know, I didn't know anything about politics. I didn't know anything about the intricacies of, of that war. But all I knew was, you know, in my mind, I was like, war is bad. I want to yes. fight for this. What do you do? You you go to a protest. You know, I, I had blue hair and I spent um, the whole week marching around one of the most affluent areas in Phoenix um, trying to fight for this. So wow. I've always been been like that but also I never had social media I never liked to be kind of the forefront I never I was never really outspoken I was never sociable even today like at crime con or parties or whatever like I find myself like more of a wallflower um yeah I'm definitely not that person that like brightens a room or whatever like I I I sit and I listen and um, I, you know, I have a small group of friends and I've, I've always been that way. But yeah, this, this sense of like, this is wrong, this is right. And if it's wrong, we need to fight for it. Um, that's always been with me. You telling me that is shocking to me just because I, of seeing the way that you, you moved around and going on stage and you know, speaking in front of all those people to learn that that's not something that's inherent to you is, is, is like a shocking to me. But um. Uh, So you spent the last 20 years speaking with publications and media outlets about yourself and your sister and your family. And before we before we went on, you you, you kind of alluded to which I've understood from just listening to your podcast. Like you're an open book, you like to go into these publications and speak about your family and and, and your own life and your experiences and tell it all. It's a very vulnerable thing. So I want like what made you decide that you wanted to take back your narrative and become a literal voice for justice by starting your own podcast? Yeah, it's a long, complicated story, and there are a lot of factors why I started Voices for Justice, but um, I think the main reason was I got, you know, 3,000 pages or whatever of my sister's case file, and I was like, why is no one talking about this? This is all public record. You know, people have had access to these records before, and nobody's reporting on this part of the story. There was also an apprehension in speaking about how, in my mind, the police did, you know, there were mistakes. And it seemed like a lot of traditional journalists at that time um, just weren't willing to speak on that factor. It was kind of like, police do no wrong. What are you talking about? Um, And I was like, no, you know what I mean? I've been lied to. There's been there's been a lot of issues that I think are important to speak on because I'm not the only family that goes through something like this. You know, you mentioned it earlier. It happens all the time. And I was just kind of honestly frustrated that these what I felt was really important in those documents weren't being talked about. And again, nobody was touching on how the police made some missteps in the case. Um, so, yeah, you know, I was also really highly encouraged by creator friends of mine um, when I started, you know, voicing just like conversations like, hey, I can't believe nobody's talking about this. You know, I wish somebody would. And they're like, Sarah, why don't you just start your own podcast? Like you've told this story a million times. Just record it yourself and do it. And so I did. I got like a $90 microphone. Um, I started in my closet. I didn't even know how to do noise reduction. Some of my interviews are really sad quality and audio, but I I learned along the way and I, I made it happen. I felt like it was kind of um, my my chance to tell it for myself for the first time ever without just like being interviewed on another podcast. And there's a vindication in that. I feel like I feel like you know when you when you get to take you know take your own story and, and tell it in your own words. You know, there's a power in that because I I, I've, I remember uh, I've heard you discuss about 
you know, you go on these XYZ streaming service and they, you know, they want to tell uh, this person's story and, you know, you're just there to be, you know, in the confessional room and, and, and talk and then you go home and uh, six months later this comes out and you don't like the tone of the way that they're telling the story or the way they're portraying your loved one and it's kind of like, well, I don't, oh, well, if you don't like it, there's nothing to do about it now. This is, this is the art we created and just deal with it. And so um, hearing that and, and not even, you know, again, not, not knowing from, from my perspective of the kind of content that I create, not, not knowing what that feeling is like to hear it, you know, articulated the way that you have so many times is like, wow, I wouldn't know what that's like, because I'm sure you're a person who says, if you're getting my family member's story out there, you're getting my family member's story out there. But it is, you know, you do have a right to say if you don't like how it was, how they were portrayed, or you don't like the tone of this or whatever, you know, it's not just like, just be grateful that you gave your platform to me. Like I still, you know, I have agency over protecting my family member, you know? So I I think that that's really cool that you decided to do it for yourself. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, and an interesting thing about that is I learned so much on how I wanted to treat these families that I, you know, would speak with later from how I treated myself and how I was treated. You know, I did exactly what you said. I I shut up and I, I just, you know, completely shut up and was completely grateful for everything people put out. I never said a bad word about anything or anyone um, that talked about my sister because I knew that people in this industry talk, you know what I mean? Creators talk. They talk about how easy families are to work with. It just happens. I know it happens and it was happening with me. And so I knew it it was very strategic. I said, I want to be super easy to work with. So I never complained. I never went back to another creator and said, you got that wrong. Every single time I just said, thank you so much for bringing exposure to my sister's case because, you know, again, I wanted to be easy to work with, but you know, overall, that was my goal. I, I, I remember literally telling somebody um, they were going to interview me and they said, listen, I'm going to call it like I see it. And I said, do it. I said, I don't care if you think I killed my sister. Just get her story out there. I don't care what you see in the case. As long as you present the facts, that's what I'm looking for. So um, I, I don't encourage families to do that now. I do think it was a little unhealthy how willing I was to just uh, thank everybody for even sometimes some pretty terrible coverage. Yeah. But I, I felt like that's what I had to do. You know what I mean? I wanted to be just super easy to work with um, and really appealing for these shows. And I, I think it worked, you know? Uh, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that for sure. Um, now, we met at CrimeCon in Austin, Texas. And I remember uh, coming up to you and talking to you and you had mentioned that you were live on TikTok. Now, time is moving so weirdly these days that you know, two years ago, a year and a half ago, seems so long ago in, in, in terms of like what TikTok is to me now as opposed to two years ago. So when I remember you saying that and I'm being and me to myself and I might I said it. I know I've, we've had the discussion, but that might have came later. But I remember being like, I don't know how to dance. I don't. Why would I go on TikTok? And I didn't know who you were and I didn't know your story. And then I learned your story and I felt so foolish when I learned like what you were doing and how you were using your, your TikTok and social media to, to, to spread awareness. So first of all, I want to apologize to you for thinking <laughs> like, what are we going to dance? Like, I don't I don't I don't know how to I don't know how to do those dances those kids are doing. I was like I was like the oldest man in the world at that moment. And so I, I didn't really understand what you were doing, but what was the, cause you say you weren't really on social media. So what, what did you see in TikTok and social media in general? Like, what did you see that, that told you this would work? Like that told you, get, this is a good way to get my sister's story out there. This is a tool and I'm going to use this tool to its full capabilities. 
Sure. I, I saw two things. One, it was a social media platform I just never explored um, and one that was quite popular. But also I searched, you know, true crime on TikTok and there wasn't a lot that came up. You know, by no means was I the first person discussing true crime on TikTok. Sure. But when you would look back then, I think um, it was the beginning of the pandemic, right? So this was like early 2020 and mm-hmm. um, there was just nothing on there. And I was like, you know, I'm just gonna, I, I saw, it was like an Ace of Base song, which like, thank goodness, because I'm I'm old, right? And I was like, oh, I know this, I can do this, I can do, I saw the sign, like, I'm all yeah. over this. Um, and so that was, uh, I think, the first video that went really viral. And I even put like, you know, I be, I put something to the effect of like, um, willing to embarrass myself for my sister, because it, well, I was so shy and so embarrassed. And I was like, nobody's gonna watch this. But you know what, I've done stupider things. I've put myself out there on other platforms. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just, it went crazy viral. And I, I could have never, ever expected it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I think I was just like, oh, I haven't tried this before. Let me try TikTok. And I, I did. Now, you, you mentioned that it wasn't um, a lot of content on there. And so let's just go ahead and let's get into this discussion. Now, let's have this conversation about the sensationalism and true crime. Uh, we saw it a lot uh, with the Gabby Petito case. Things really, a lot of people became true crime content creators because of the massive uh, virality of that story. And so I would like to ask you, like, as an advocate, are you, of the, are you of the belief that all publicity is good publicity, or do you believe that there's a line and a set of principles to follow when it comes to this kind of, like, content, for lack of a better word? That's a great question. So I think when it comes to a missing person, that especially recently missing person that's trying to be found, it does feel like you know, no press is bad press, right? Yeah. But the thing, especially in the Gabby Petito case, when they, I mean, there was a certain point, right, where her body was found. Um, mm-hmm. it, it became very clear that this was a murder. It became very clear that who did it. I mean, you know what I mean? There's always the off yeah. chance that, you know, the 1% craziness could happen and it wasn't Brian yes. Laundry or whatever. But I, that's when it flipped for me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I, I will share missing all day. I don't care what it is. They're missing. To me, that's, it's like so black and white. It's like they need help. They're missing. Let's share it. And it was the same with Gabby Petito. Yes, she was getting a ton of coverage, but I was like, she's missing. Let's help, whatever. But when it flipped, you know what I mean? And it was like, okay, we we kind of know what's going on. I, I yeah. don't feel a need to cover this anymore. This seems to be the time that the police need to take over the investigation. There's yes. already so much media pressure. There's no way that they're going to just walk away from this or not investigate it um, because the media is looking, right? So th- that's yeah. really what it was for me. And I think that's when it flips. I think you have to it's all about intention. You know what I mean? Are you really helping or are you posting 17 episodes about Gabby Petito because you know it's going to get downloads? And let's be real. Lots of people did that across the board. Every time that there was a Gabby Petito update, I don't care how small, whatever it was, I would see people launching an hour's worth of content. And I'm like, I didn't watch it, right? But I'm like, what are you even reporting on? It just, it, it felt really... Um, salacious and it felt like people were doing it for views and to me it felt uh, that it just it felt so dirty and so wrong and there was a lot of that on TikTok unfortunately you know TikTok is is really good and really bad sometimes you know you have to take the good with the bad like every other social media platform so um, but yeah that that's how I feel about the Gabby Petito case. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Yeah, it's it's uh, just to just to broaden it out when, when you talk about um, doing things for salacious purposes and covering things because you know they're going to get clicks. That was an interesting time. As you know, we're, we're this podcast uh, that is trying to talk about underreported cases and, and inner city communities and minorities that don't get coverage. So we got a lot of people that were trying to be contrarian or cynical and doing good journalism. But I, I was in the New York Times in an article about, you know, why are they talking about Gabby Petito and not this? Like it really that's that case really just it. It's funny how, you know, depend, a case that gets that big will bring in so many different realms of media and so many different think pieces and things that don't even really have anything to do with the case, just about society and, you know, uh, sexism and, you know, race. It, it really, it, it transcended the missing persons case and, and started all these different conversations. And it was just, a, just was a strange time. Earlier, I mentioned that I look at what I do on my podcast is, you know, we are... Uh, like TMZ. I mean, that, that's really is. That's uh, it's not obviously. I'm not Harvey Levin. I don't have a big drink in my hand. I'm leaning over the counter like, who? What happened today? Who's missing? But we are people who are on the sidelines and have learned that we can commentate and speculate from the sidelines without really having any skin in the game. And uh, what are some things that you feel like? In those types of podcasts, you know, for example, my podcast is categorized as a comedy podcast because I'm not a journalist. I don't want people to have high expectations of me, even though I do have high expectations of myself. I don't want people to turn on my podcast and think they're going to I'm solving a case or something. I'm not like bringing you new information. So what are some things that you would say to those kind of content creators to just like those red flags? Like what 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 really perks your ears up and really makes you as a person who's had the experiences that you have go, Hey, that's not, that's not okay. 
So that's the thing. I, I think, you know, a lot of people do look to me uh, for conversations about ethics and true crime, but I think they'd be surprised with how flexible I am. Like, the thing sure. is, like, you know, the First Amendment, the right to free speech is a thing, and I would never want to take that away from anybody. And I also think that there is value in creating entertaining true crime content and that it makes people care about the issues. It may be a less direct way. It's not me saying, hey, you need to care. Here's your call to action. But in a roundabout way, I do think that it does get them to care. So I think that there is value there. And I never want to tell a creator, do this, don't do that. But I mean, I think I think some things that are becoming a lot less tolerable, like consumers just aren't having it anymore, are things like victim blaming. You know what I mean? Um, When you look at cases, specifically, you look at, you know, um, they could have been a sex worker, they could have been addicted to drugs, whatever it was. And Mm -hmm. people aren't... They're just not tolerating the narrative of she was a prostitute and a drug addict. What else else do you expect? That kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Like the consumers are becoming more conscious. And the thing is, like I worked in marketing before this as well. Right. So I did social media marketing and um, I've worked for like a company that uh, created uh, an additive to plastics that could like decompose in a landfill. So uh, my point is conscious consumerism is taking over this world. People want to feel good about what they buy, what they make, what they consume and true crime is no different so although uh, i don't think that we're completely out of the the realm with uh sensational true crime i I do think it's still going to be around there will always be an audience for that the consumer is just tolerating it a lot less they want to see victim sensitivity they want to see content with a purpose they want to see basically creators just care and you know if they crack a few jokes in between i don't think that that's crazy as long as it's not, you know, insensitive to the victim and things like that. Um, but but yeah, I mean, in terms of what I would tell creators is just intention. You know what I mean? If, if you're telling yeah. jokes with the intention to make fun of the victim or somehow, you know, put the perpetrator in this cute light or whatever, um, yeah. then yeah, that's not okay. And I'll never think that that's okay. Um, you know, things, you know, basic standards of... Um, I guess just content creation. I hate to say journalism. I never want to be a journalist. I actually, I I took classes. I was going to be. I was almost a journalism major. I was taking classes. And then um, the raid on my dad's house happened and I dealt with journalists. And I was like, I can never be a journalist. Yeah. But I do follow some of those same ethics, I think. It's just lead with the truth, try to get all sides. And, you know, to be honest, it's... I think you have to be careful with inserting your opinion. I do think that there are a lot of creators with a lot of sway in this industry that don't use it responsibly or even think about that aspect. Like if you go out there and say, you know, just a a really common thing, right? Like Ted Bundy was kind of cute. Like I I think that's irresponsible. You know what I mean? Like you got to take that seriously. I take it seriously. Um, Yes. But yeah, that's a really long-winded way of, you know, saying it. it's complicated. But yeah, I do think that yeah. there are some things that are clearly not okay. It, and everything's algorithmic. Like, oh, people want this, so let's give them this. I remember one specific situation at CrimeCon, like there were people giving out tote bags that had like a meme, like a meme on it. And um, so when you say complicated, it's like, yeah, it is, it, it is, it's murky at times, but I think if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, then it's a duck, I think is the best kind of policy to use in this uh space which is like if you feel like that was an insensitive thing to say while you were saying it then you should cut it out or if you this meme feels too jokey or insensitive to the then if you feel it then it is like if, if, if it even feels like it could offend a person who has really experienced this then you probably have crossed the line i feel like that's a good way to live 
yeah. um, and a good, way, a good way to survive in the space because like I don't ever want to um, intent not, nothing is ever intentional with me if I say something the wrong way if I offend somebody it's never meant intentionally and so if you are in this space and you misspeak and somebody comes to you and says hey listen I've experienced this and I just want to let you know like that's not really the proper way to say that or this offended me as a person who went through this then it's really easy to be arrogant as a creator but you got to take you got to take arrogance out of this space because like these are real people's stories so if somebody tells you like hey I don't think you did that right you can't go like well don't tell me how to do my podcast because you know your podcast you're speaking about real people these aren't reddit stories these aren't like you know folklores like these are real people's stories and if people are saying hey i might not be related to this person but this happened to me so i'm just speaking to you like if a person if the person whose story you're telling if their family member heard that speaking from my experience it would hurt it would hurt their feelings then you should take heed to that and, and and try to grow and if you're not in this space to grow if you started a podcast because you know you saw this person's podcast empire and they sell shirts and they sell stickers and and this is a lot. I see this a lot. Podcasts pop up every day with no real interest in being a true crime podcast. But it's like this is a a, a lane to get into. And so I'm going to get into it. And immediately I have an LLC, the first episode. And like you said, I remember those first early episodes are terrible. You should not be thinking about a, a business. It should not be in your mind at all. If, if you're not doing this because you genuinely have a uh, an, an intrigue or an interest in helping or spreading stories or, or, or anything, then you shouldn't be doing it. And you know, I feel like, again, that's, if, you, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. So that's, that's kind of my compass that I go by. Like, am I ever doing anything because, Oh, this is trending. You know, like we didn't even cover the Gabby Petito case. Like we, we discussed it because it was happening in the news, but it, it would be just as, it would have been just as easy to like, well, let's just put a, an episode out where we cover it because it'll get traction. And if that's ever, you know, listen, I, I understand like everybody wants to have more viewers and more listeners and, and grow this thing. You know, you want to talk to more people, but if, if your compass is being directed by that, then you're moving wrong to me. Yes. You know, you, you hit on so many good points and just to step back a little bit, I think one of the biggest things about ethics and true crime in this space is remaining teachable and always wanting to grow. That's the thing. I've had creators that might be a little controversial, you know, DM me and say, hey, I saw what you said. I'm going to shift my content. And it's like, that's awesome. Like, I'm not out here to be like, that person sucks and they did this thing and they should never have a platform again. Like, that's not what it's about. We all learn and grow, myself included. Like, in my early episodes, um, you know, I about my sister, I was so careful to use the same phrasing in the police reports because I, like, I didn't want any of it to be my own opinion. I just wanted to be like, here are the facts. You know, I'm the sister. I don't want to come across as any more biased than I probably already am. Like, here are the facts. And I would say, you know, my sister had sex with whatever and she was a child and people were like, hey, kids can't have sex with adults. She was assaulted. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, you're exactly right. Like, thank you so much. I didn't mean to offend. You know what I mean? Like, and that's my own personal family story and I can still yeah. remain teachable. So it's like, I, I think that that's the highest expectation to have for creators is if somebody says, hey, you're doing that in a way that is affecting people negatively or could hurt people, you might want to shift that content. Like, I, I, I just... I think these creators need to remain teachable. And if you're not and you don't grow in this space, you're just going to you're going to be left behind. And that's just kind of the way it is. Um, you also touched on another really interesting point that I think um, a lot of people 
didn't really notice. If you if you look, especially on YouTube, there are a lot of true crime creators that started in different, more popular facets, right? They were a beauty YouTuber. They were a story time YouTuber. And then bam, true crime is popular. Now I'm doing true crime. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I do think it's important to look at when you look at the intentions of these creators. You know, are they going to stick around in true crime forever? Or when true crime, you know, isn't that popular anymore, are they going to jump to whatever the next thing is? Um, I I just, I could talk about this all day, but there's so many things to look at, I think, when you're evaluating creators. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, consumers drive this market. So I always encourage consumers to be as educated as possible because it does matter. You know what I mean? And I think like trends are part of that. And I hate I hate to call it a trend. But if you look at what happened with Gabby Petito, right, she did spark this nationwide, I mean, this worldwide, I'm sure, conversation yeah, about yeah. which cases get media coverage and which cases get, you know, uh, law enforcement uh, resources and whatnot. And I think that that was huge. But my fear was I saw these creators. OK, now I'm going to start sharing missing persons posters. Now I'm going to start doing this. And there was so much action right away. And I was like, this is awesome. But then, you know, it's scaling back. It's just scaling back and back and back. And you're like, OK, so that was yeah. a trend for you. So you're doing it because it's popular and that's what's going to get you more views or maybe save face or whatever it is. And it's just it, it is sad to see as somebody who is so close to a case. You know what I mean? Like, I wish it, it just... My biggest thing is intention, right? So I'm always like, does this person really care? And like at at their heart, would they do this at the end of their day, at the end of the day with no money and no ads? And not that I'm saying you have to do a full-time job for free or whatatever, but like, what is your intention? Do you actually care? care? Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think we did see that with Gabby Petito. And now that the dust has kind of settled a little bit on that case um, and the conversation isn't as big in the media, if you will, I see creators changing their content again. And it's like, ugh, yeah. ugh. so it's just yeah, a trend. Yeah. That's it's just it's, disappointing. It's it is disappointing because I, I see the I, I saw the exact same trend that you saw. And um, it's 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 sad to say it, but it's a lot of the times oftentimes it's performative um, and people virtue signal to. And it's such a it's such a weird space to know that that exists and like people will share a missing poster at a time where people are sharing missing posters because it they know that people will tell them how righteous they are and and, and it'll give them endorphins and they feel like they're making a change or making a difference in the moment that it's trending and it's it's the good time to be performative but then six months later you know i mean the gabby petito case was at its height you know it's been it's been a few months now and a lot of those people that i saw sharing missing flyers and phone numbers and stuff it's 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 gone away you know and 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 that is sad but when something has grown to this level and become such a you know it's it's a genre you know so it's people were doing this dance on tiktok six months ago and now they're doing a new one you know and so that comes along with a space like this but on the bright side, like the positive end of it is you get into the things like a, a crime con and these other conventions around the country where people come. And I, I mean, I, I, I know if my experience was this. I can't even imagine how powerful your experience was. But like somebody coming up to you and telling you, like, hey, um, I would love to sit down with you and, and, and talk about my, my son that's missing or, or uh, you know, just really telling you uh, I'm here to represent my family and get their story out there. Or I'm here because this happened to me and this person's story, I'm going to go listen to them speak. And it just, I had the exact same experience and, and, it, and, and it changed my life. And those experiences come along with 
the people who share missing posters for two weeks and then move on and don't ever do it again. You know, it's when, when something becomes as massive as true crime has become, it's like you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, no. And to be honest, those are my favorite people to meet at CrimeCon as much as I love meeting my, you know, my listeners or whatever and other creators. It is those families because I was that family at the 2019 CrimeCon. I was going around begging people to cover my sister's story. I was them. So I like to be this, you know, it makes me feel like so egotistical, but it's like this representation of like, you can do it. You know what I mean? Like I bought another family a microphone. I was like, start your own podcast here. Here's everything you need. Do it. You know what I mean? It's that's what's so exciting for me is to see family members take back that power because it's it's always been so weird to me, right? When you look at any vertical of content, especially in podcasting, you know, if you listen to a podcast about the military, who do you expect to be the host? People with experience with the military, right? People who have firsthand yeah. experience. And in true crime, that's just not the case. Like, me as a family member presenting the podcast was like this weird new concept for a lot of people. And in my head, I was like, shouldn't it be these people talking about these stories? Not that content creators have no business doing it. I think that there's so much value there, but I don't understand why it was such a weird concept when in so many other verticals, right? Like you, you have a podcast about nursing. Should I do that as a marketing person or whatever? Like, no, like it's, it's just, it's always been so funny to me. So I, I love empowering families to create their own content. I think it's really valuable. And I've said it again, I like, I've said it so many times, but I don't think that any person doing research, no matter how good the research is, no matter how good your team is, they're not going to be able to find the same things that family members know and have experienced. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to know all those intricacies of the case most of the time. And there's there's just so much value there. And I wish people saw that more. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, I never thought of that that way. Be- I, th- I think that I would think that a person that would say that to you or somebody who has real experience in what it's like to go through some of these stories. I think they would look at you and go like, Oh no, like this is for people that are, can't imagine, you know, like it's like, this is like a fantasy. I think, and I think that's the, that's the issue with the, with the, with the space. And that's where a lot of problems come along is that, you know, where you talk about a a podcast that pops up and it's just like, we're going to be like the funniest podcast about true crime ever and it's you're able to do that because you're so detached from it so the idea of running into a person that's like oh no this actually happened to my family it's like whoa no 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 we're we're just we're just telling we're just telling stories it becomes too real right and to that i'm like what do you mean it becomes too real these are real stories and i think that's where the line between entertainment and reality really comes in is like you know in so many ways i feel like i'm kind of like this true crime party crasher because i'm like nope these are real stories this happened to me here's how it really affected me and i I think that you know there are some people who genuinely just don't want to hear it like that they're so used to it being so sensationalized and it more in this realm of entertainment that when it's like it's just too real for them which blows my mind again as somebody so close to a case because obviously it's it's very fucking real for me so I actually have a little questionnaire that I, um, I like to do, and um, so this this is a, a few questions, just some just some questions. Uh, these were made famous by uh, Bernard Pivot, and uh, it's just a little questionnaire to for people to get to know Sarah, uh, for Sarah to, to to challenge your brain a little bit. So, are you ready to answer my questions? I'm ready. Okay. Maybe ready. <laughs> Sarah, what is your favorite word? Oh, um. Honestly, probably, oh gosh, 
I I grew up in West Phoenix. It's probably fuck. <laughs> I'm sorry. Honest. It is what it is. No, it is what it's, it is. It's honest. That's honest. I'm totally honest. different than what I appear on the podcast. So hi. <laughs> so this, that's gonna come. It's gonna be interesting because there's another question later on. Just a little uh, few down the list. So you know, keep that in mind. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Oh. See, I was an English major, so I feel like I don't have any of those weird, like, aversions to words. Like, I love words. You know what I mean? I love, like, pretend words. I love all the words. So, um, oh, you know, probably, like, vain. I have a thing with veins. So when I hear that, like, literally the people around me know that they have to call them Vs because I'm so weird about it. So probably vain because it's, it's just so gross. What is a quality in people that you love? When they genuinely care about things on this earth and other people, just genuine care. What is the quality in people that you hate? Um, probably when they're just fake. You know what I mean? Like, I think I can accept pretty much any person on this planet as long as you tell me you're an asshole. But if you pretend yeah. you're not an asshole, then I'm not okay with that. So, yeah, people being fake. I'll take an honest asshole over like a disingenuous person any day. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. Give me an honest <laughs> asshole, please. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, so what is a sound or noise that you love? Oh, rain for sure. Yeah, that's a good one. In the desert. You know what I mean? It's so rare. Yeah. <laughs> and it hits that hits that dry ground in a very, you know, like before it like saturates the ground that that pitter patters it hits different out there in the desert yes and i have um my house is from the 70s and my original exhaust fan in my kitchen is like this big metal thing and every time it rains Mm. i can hear it and i'm like oh it's raining it's like my little weather alert so i love it what is the sound or noise that you hate like any animal in pain it like i'll cry you know like i can't i can't i would love to be a vet i love animals so much but i could never deal with it so yeah yeah, any animal in pain like my dog's like just wanting to come in i'm like oh gosh um but yeah yeah. hit your heart um what is your favorite curse word it is fuck (laughs) (laughs) maybe if if, oh i mean that's good uh yeah i mean probably fuck it's a um, solid one. It's a solid one. It drives the point home pretty good. In the 90s, I probably would have said uh, functified because I thought that that was like a curse <laughs> word from Missy Elliott. Like, you functified freak or whatever. Like, I fucking, I was all over that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's got to be fuck. Come on. It's a classic. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a classic for sure. You can't beat the classics. Um, what profession other than yours would you like to attempt? Um, I would love, I was a nonprofit before. Um, I would love to like run a nonprofit someday. I think that that would be awesome as if I don't have enough on my plate. I would, (laughs) I've just, I've seen like, you know, how, how sad some nonprofits are. Um, and I would love to run it and make a real difference. I think that would be cool somewhere where I'm not, you know, in front of the camera, in front of the microphone, I can just kind of uh, be administrative and make sure that people are doing the right thing. So that would be really, really cool. Yeah. I think a nonprofit could do do very well with your with your ideas and guidance. I think I think you have a, I think you have a good mind for that. I think that would be something not to not to push you to put more on your plate, but yeah, <laughs> someday in the in the future. I think I, I see that. I see that for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh what is a profession that you would never want to participate in? I think we alluded to it probably just a second ago, but Sorry, I'm like preemptively I'm, answering all the questions. A, n- a nurse? I'm, <laughs> a, I'm so, like I speak in such a long form, I swear. I, I just ramble on. Uh, but yeah, I could never I could never be a vet. I, I just I could never. Um I because I can't draw blood either because of the veins thing. So yeah. Oh yeah. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Oh my gosh. Um Gosh, such a deep question. Probably that I, gosh, it's so sad that I did the right thing by my family. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. That's that's powerful. Um, Sarah, 
thank you so much. Um, please, if you have anything you want to promote or, you know, plug, take it away. Voices for Justice, disappearances, do your thing. Please, I'm quiet. Well, thank you for having me. I am like the worst at this, you know, as much as I'm like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. I like suck at promoting myself. But yeah, I do have a podcast, Voices for Justice. That is uh, my original podcast. Season one is about my sister, Alyssa Turney. Um, there was an arrest made in 2020. So I paused all episodes about her and started covering other cases. My big thing is um, I don't want you to just listen to these tragic, very sad stories. I want you to do something about them, even if that's just sharing it. Um, one share is very powerful. So every episode of Voices for Justice ends in a call to action. I'm all about that action-oriented true crime. It is my brand. I've always been that way. Um, but I also have another podcast, Disappearances. It is through Spotify. And it's a little more of a historical aspect. I go over some different cases, um, but we really do highlight social justice issues as well. So they're, they're both really cool podcasts, and I would love if you checked it out. You can follow me on social media pretty much everywhere under Sarah E. Turney if you want more off-the-cuff stuff like this. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm one person uh, when I get to speak freely, and I'm a totally different person when I make this content. Um, I just, you know, make it with a mission in mind. But if you want to see a little more behind the scenes and what I'm like, follow me on social media or just say hi. Also, if you're a family that needs help, please reach out to me. That's what I love to do. Sarah, once again, thank you so much for being my first guest inside the podcaster studio. This was a great conversation. I think people are going to learn a lot. And uh, yeah, um, I'll see you on TikTok. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be your first guest. Seriously. Thank oh, you so much. So, absolutely. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.